All right, boy, you know there's a lot of good things happening in your church when you have to spend five minutes just telling you all the cool stuff happening, right? That's exciting, right? It'd be worse if I had to get up here and spend five minutes telling you all the bad things that happened. That would, I'm glad I'm not doing that this morning, but I'm ready to preach to you. I'm excited about this message. We're in a series entitled The Storyteller, and in this series, we're looking at the parables of Jesus. And what's really interesting about a parable is that in some context, a parable, a story, helps us to understand the truth easier. You get a visual of what the spiritual truth is, and it helps you to apply that to your life. Other times, the parable isn't as clear, and Jesus would explain that so we could understand the truth. And the parable we're going to look at today is exactly that context. Jesus's original hearers had a hard time understanding this parable, and it's the parable of the sower and the seed. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter number 13. If you're at home, find a Bible, get somebody else's phone. If you're watching this on the phone, don't exit out of this because then you'd have no idea where we're at. But turn to Matthew 13. I want you to look at the word of God with me. We're going to start in verse number one and we're going to read through verse nine and then we're going to skip to verse 18 and read through 23. Here's what the word says, starting in verse one, Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. A great crowd gathered around him so that he got into the boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell along the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Skipping to verse 18, it says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the seed, the evil one comes and snatches away from the heart that's sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for those who sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for the one who is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. Now, this parable is really relevant to me because I can relate to the sower. Uh, several years ago, Charity and I decided that we were going to try to plant a garden. And what I learned through this process is that growing a garden is a gift. Now, it might not be referenced in a spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians, but it is a gift nonetheless, because Charity and I tried to grow this garden and it became an absolute failure. What we learned is, is that we were really good at growing weeds. We were very terrible at growing vegetables. So we went to the store and we bought something along the lines of two $250 worth of plants and seeds and fertilizer, all the things that you're supposed to be able to put into the ground to grow a garden. And what we did was we squandered $250 because we literally harvested nothing. 
We got zero produce from this investment. Now, you need to understand that we eat a lot of vegetables. We, we buy steam bags of vegetables. Yes, we're, we're, that, we're that bland that we put steam bags in the microwave. Those are the vegetables we eat. And they are a whole dollar. They cost $1. So we could have bought a year's worth of vegetables for the price of this garden that we got nothing out of. Now, for other people who can grow gardens, we love that because fresh vegetables are so much better than frozen vegetables. I am fully aware that if the infrastructure of the supermarket chains break down, that Charity and I are going to starve to death because we cannot grow anything at all. What happened to our garden? Why did our garden fail? It's very simple. Because we did not have proper soil management. Our garden failed because we did not properly prepare the soil. We didn't till the garden bed enough. It was too shallow. And so everything we planted ultimately died and weeds grew in its place. So what happened was improper soil management led to a fruitless garden. And here's the big idea of this message is that improper spiritual management will lead to a fruitless life. When you don't properly manage your heart, you are not going to produce fruit. This is exactly what Jesus is dealing with in this parable. He's talking to people, trying to get them to understand that the condition of their heart is going to directly correlate with the fruitfulness of their life. We sometimes have a really bad habit of picking and choosing Jesus's teaching, and we don't get the greater picture. And if you want to understand my sermons, you have to listen to them in their entirety. If you want to understand Jesus's teachings, you have to listen to him in entirety. So what is Jesus trying to teach us from this portion of scripture? The subject matter is the kingdom of God. The seed is the gospel, the rule and reign of Jesus in the life of an individual. And it is the foundation of the redemption plan of God. This teaching of the Lord comes at a very interesting time in the gospel of Matthew. Chronologically, he is teaching on the sower and the seed to illustrate how the kingdom of God is going to come at a crucial juncture. He's been teaching for a while and he's trying to explain that the kingdom of God and how he is the Messiah. Jesus is trying to pe- get people to buy into the kingdom of God. He's trying to show them that he is what they have been hoping for all along. The people misunderstood what Jesus was about. They were hoping for a political savior, but Jesus was here to be a spiritual savior. So he's trying to get them to reorient their thinking to understand what it means to be a part of the kingdom of a God. But a lot of people were not willing to submit to Jesus as Lord. Jesus was healing people, but the crowds were not necessarily ready to submit to him as Messiah and as Lord. They were ready to receive his blessing but they were not ready to receive his lordship. When you look at this specific parable and teaching of Jesus, he's discussing this issue. Now, we need to ask a question. Why does Jesus teach in parables? If we want to understand why Jesus is teaching in parables, we need to understand this one. Why doesn't Jesus just come out and say, look, I'm God and you better follow me? I'm the only way to heaven. You know, I'm God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you look, you're looking for. Why didn't he just say that in this moment? 
The answer is because Jesus was not willing for the gospel message to be trampled on. He was not willing to cast his pearls before the swine. Jesus is not trying to avoid people hearing the good news. That was not his goal. If that was his goal, why would he even be speaking at all? Parables don't always help us to understand the message better, as we said in the beginning, because they still need to explain from time to time. Jesus taught in parables because teaching in parables challenges the hearer. It challenges you and me to hear Jesus' teachings in parable. Notice the words of Jesus. He says, if you have ears, hear what I am telling you. Jesus was not willing to spoon feed people. How many of you hate spoon feeding people? Your kids or your coworkers, people in your life. You want them to take the challenge. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He was challenging them to take their spiritual condition seriously. He was challenging them to listen and to apply the words to the heart. He was challenging them not to follow him for a miracle, but to follow him because of the harvest that he would bring from their life. If you look, it appears that the burden is upon the hearer to hear the truth. And this is vital because it's not so much about the parable of the sower and the seed as it is a parable about the soil. The burden of hearing and applying the truth is on you and me. The sower is Christ. The seed is the gospel message. You and I are the soil. It's important to notice that the only difference in outcome in this parable is the soil. In this parable, we call it the sower and the seed, but the seed never changed and the sower never changed. What changed was the soil. And my question for you this morning is, what is the condition of your heart? What kind of soil are you? What kind of place are you to receive what Jesus is wanting to do in your life? If you're the right kind of soil and you take the challenge and there's going to be a harvest, there's going to be good things that come from your life. If you're the bad type of soil and you're not prepared and you're not allowed God to cultivate your heart, then ultimately there's not going to be any fruit that comes from it. We have to understand that Jesus is the one that does all the work. So when we say the seed, we know the gospel message. We know that the bad news is that we're lost without Jesus, that we're in our sins, and without him we are going to receive punishment of our sins, namely spending an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But the good news, the seed, is that Jesus came, died on a cross, purchased our redemption so that we could spend eternity with him when we put our faith in him as our Lord and Savior. That's the seed. The question is, is how serious are we about the seed producing fruit in our heart? How serious are we about the gospel message? This is not about merit. It's about reception to receive the change that God wants to bring in our life. And so what Jesus does is he teaches us is that there's four responses to the seed. There's four responses to the gospel message, and he uses the soil as illustration. And I want to walk you through these very quickly, and I want to show them to you. The first soil, the first heart condition is the hard path or the hard heart. The first type of soil that Jesus speaks about is the hard heart to the gospel. And what happens in this instance is someone hears the word of God, but the word does not penetrate their heart. They don't take it serious. They, they hear that they're separated from God, that they need a savior. They hear that Jesus loves them and is merciful and wants to bring them into the fold, but they don't care or they reject it. Or frankly, they're indifferent to the word altogether. And so the seed never settles into their heart. And Jesus said the evil one comes and snatches it away. 
And this shows us how serious and how time-sensitive the gospel message is. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this. It says, For he says, In a favorable time I will listen to you, and in a day of salvation I will help you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I told you guys a while back that Charity and I tried to buy a jet ski, and we ended up purchasing one. But before that, it was a long ordeal. Back in March, we were looking for one, and there was a brand new jet ski. I mean, this thing was brand new. And we said, this is nice. And it was cheap. It was within our price range. Frankly, they probably weren't asking enough money for it. But I was cheaper. And so I thought I could negotiate for a better price. And guess what happened? Someone swooped in and purchased it out from underneath me. What happened? I missed it because I did not realize the opportunity was time sensitive. And there are certain things in life that are time sensitive. And when you hear, you need to say yes, or you need to say no. And the gospel message is time sensitive. Jesus said, when it settles there, it's either going to sink into the heart or the enemy is going to snatch it away. So when we hear and we come across a good deal, we don't wait in life. But when we hear about the gospel message, we cannot wait. It's time sensitive because there's an enemy that's out to to sabotage our life, to sabotage the word that is trying to be planted if we don't take it serious and allow it to take root. The challenge of this soil is to always take the word of God seriously. When you hear the word of God, you need to allow it to soak into your heart. You need to allow it to penetrate down into the core of who you are so that God can bring fruit. This isn't just about salvation. Sometimes this is about us as believers who have been following Jesus for a long time. We hear a word. It resonates with us. We know that God's wanting to bring change in our life, but we don't allow him to do that work. What happens? We can miss it because it's time sensitive. A lot of us, we've been in those moments where we're walking through the store and we feel like God told us to do something, maybe bless someone or speak a word to someone, and we didn't do it and we miss the moment. Or maybe we hear a message and we know that God's working on our heart and there's an area of our heart that he's wanting to prune or refine, but we keep pushing that off. What are we doing? We are hardening our heart and we're not taking the word of God serious and we're going to miss the moment. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. No one knows how we will respond tomorrow. Today is the day. And when we hear the word of God, we need to allow it to penetrate into our heart. The second soil is the rocky place. The soil of a shallow heart. Jesus said, look, there are some people who hear the word and they, they jump in fast. I mean, they push all their chips to the middle. They say, I am ready for this. I am all in. But as soon as a problem arises, they, they, they flake out. They give up. Something looks fun until you realize the price tag associated with owning it. I'm sure many of you in this room, you've purchased a puppy and you say, oh, the puppy's so cute because you saw it at Walmart, you know, the people trying to give the dog away. That should be your sign right there that they're trying to give the dog away. But you're like, oh, I want this puppy or better yet. You know, this is a this is a this is a full breed dog, you know, one that costs like three thousand dollars. Oh, we got to have this puppy. Look at it. It's so cute. You know, yay. And so you go by the puppy and you say, oh, this is great. And then the puppy starts messing all over the house and the veterinarian bills like two grand, you know, because this this dog needs a hip replacement. And, you know, then you get in there, replace the hip and you realize it has a heart problem. So you fix the heart. You know, I mean, this dog's on life support. They got the ventilator, the whole nine yards. This free puppy became outrageously expensive, right? And a lot of people think the puppy's great until they realize the price tag associated with it. And that's exactly the same thing with the gospel message. That's how people approach faith. They hear the good news of Jesus. They love the family atmosphere. The music's decent. And they think, yes, 
This is awesome. I want in. But no one ever tells them the price tag associated with following Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Or if we are saying today's version, let's say it like this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his electric chair and follow me. There's a death to what we want. There's a denial to what we want. There is a giving up of what we want. Jesus goes on to say this, for whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's an all in factor that's required in being a Christian, but there's a cost associated with that going all in. Following Jesus does not mean we do it in easy times. It means we follow him in the trials and the tribulations. We follow him even when there's persecution. That's why I'm not a huge fan of let's just pray the prayer and say I'm saved because I think people need to understand that Jesus made it very clear that there is a price tag associated with it. There is a hurt sometimes of being a Christian. So yes, we enter into, into salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's not by merit. It's not by earning anything. You enter into faith or into salvation by faith, but there's a price tag. It's going to cost you something. George Whitfield was a powerful preacher at the First Great Awakening, and thousands of people would come hear him preach, and thousands of people would respond to the altar call and salvation. And he was asked one time, how many people have been saved under your ministry? And Whitfield responded, he says, I don't know, we will see in a few years. Here's what Whitfield understood. He understood this parable. He understood that there was a lot of people who would respond to an altar call and say yes, but that would not be following Jesus in six months. Why? Because it's not easy to do. The key word in this part of the parable is the word immediately. People rush into faith without understanding the cost. And that's why we as church leaders and we as believers, it would behoove us not to force baby Christians into serving too fast. Sometimes we put brand new believers in high capacity positions at their detriment. Why? Because they need to grow. There's a tension to be managed here. Serving's great. Discipleship's part of serving, but you can't have somebody serving when they've just been saved four Sundays out of a year. We need people an opportunity to grow. They need roots. They need roots within themselves is what Jesus said in this passage. You need three things in your spiritual walk. This is what we talk about in Next Steps. You need to encounter God in worship. You need uh, a corporate worship experience for your life. You need vitality, and you need to be worshiping with the saints. You need to be hearing the word. You need to be getting fed in a weekend service. But you also need to be equipped in discipleship. It's not enough just to come on Sundays. You need to be consuming this word. That's why we value the word of God. It needs to be the foundation of our life. We need to be diving in, allowing other brothers and sisters in Christ speaking into our lives. And yes, you do need to be engaged in serving, connecting to, through, uh, to, to other people through serving. It's a great way to grow in your discipleship. You need all three. You can't, you can't have a healthy spiritual walk if all you're doing is serving. Nor can you have a healthy spiritual walk if all you're doing is coming on Sunday. Nor can you have a healthy spiritual walk if all you're doing is studying the Bible. You need all three aspects in your life to be healthy spiritually. And that challenge allows us to develop deep roots. The third type of soil is a soil that gets choked. It's the vine-covered heart, or it's the distracted heart. This is perhaps the most concerning soul condition that Jesus shares with us. The distracted heart. Every husband has had that moment where he's sitting there and he has this realization that his wife is talking to him and he has no idea what she's been saying. 
Not only does he not have any idea of what she's been saying, he doesn't know how long she's been saying it. And then in that moment, he has to make a decision. Either A, I fess up and I say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm sorry, please start over. Or you just try to guess what she's saying. How that happens is going to dictate the response, right? The choked heart is that heart where we're oblivious to what's going on around us. We're oblivious to what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in our life. We're oblivious to the Word of God. And we're so zoned on and on a hundred different things that God's not even able to work in our life. This is serious because a lot of people say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I want to serve in the church. I want to be a witness in my community. But then there are other things that are just as important. See, it's not that people say church isn't important to me. I'll put that in the back burner. It's not that people say, well, my, my devotional life of Christ isn't important. They know it's important. They know it's important to be reading the word of God. They know it's important to be praying and to be worshiping. They know it's important to be in church. And they know it's important to be serving. It's not that they don't value it. It's just that they value a hundred other things just as much. And most of the time, these are good things. And so what happens is these good things end up choking out the God things in our life. Why? Because the things of God are not time sensitive to us. We talked about this a moment ago. It doesn't ever change. Our relationship with Jesus is time sensitive. And that time is today. Church has been around for thousands of years and it will be here next Sunday. And what a lot of people think is, but man, these, these, these other things are time sensitive. Like, what I need to do is today, I'll, 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 I'll go to church tomorrow, or right now I need to balance my checkbook, I'll read my Bible later. Right now that show's on TV and I don't want it to be spoiled, so I'll watch it and I won't, I won't, I won't read my scriptures. We don't put a priority on it. What happens is, is other things in life start to come in and choke out what God's trying to do. Now, I understand, I'm not saying that it's wrong to miss church every now and then. That's not the point Jesus is making. I'm not saying that if you don't read your Bible every day that you don't love Jesus. That's not what he's saying. Notice what he is getting to. The distractions are bad enough to choke out the fruit. Jesus uses a very, very interesting word, verse 22, deceitfulness. Deceitfulness. Depending on your translation, it might say seduction. It's almost as if we don't even know that our hearts are divided. We're being choked, and we don't even realize it's happening. We think we're rock solid in our faith, but the plants of our heart are not producing fruit. This calls us to take a very serious look at our life, and we need to ask ourselves the tough questions. Am I producing fruit as a follower of Jesus Christ? Is there the fruit of the Spirit? Am I encountering with the Lord in corporate worship? Am I being equipped in discipleship? Am I engaging in serving? Be honest with yourself. If the answer is no, then we need to take stock and we need to say, why am I not being fruitful? And we need to fix the problem. We cannot miss the point here that the worries of the world and things of the world, worldly possessions, will snuff out our spiritual life. It's always going to be a battle in the life of a believer. It's never going to get easier. It's going to be a constant process of removing distractions. That is a challenge as a believer to constantly look what distractions are trying to choke out my life and then removing that. Here's what you need to know. The gospel message wants to take over your life. The seed wants to take over your life. Living a kingdom life means that you sacrifice time, talent, and treasure here so that Jesus gets glory there. Remember the verse a moment ago, Jesus is calling us to carry our cross. 
We die to our wants, our desires, so that we can produce fruit. If the gospel message never becomes a priority in our life, then sooner or later, it will be choked out. If your faith in Jesus Christ is not the priority, then sooner or later, it will be choked out. Notice, it is about faithfulness. Faithfulness. I want to close with this if Charity wants to come back. The fourth soil of the heart is the good soil, the the fertile heart that produces a crop. Jesus makes a very interesting distinction here, and he explains why the soil is uh, fertile, why the soil produces fruit. You hear the word, and you understand the word. That's what he tells us. It's not just simply hearing the word, it's understanding the word. We hinted on this a moment ago, but hearing has to lead to understanding. It's not good enough just to come go through the motions. You need to hear the word. You need to understand the word. The gospel message has an effect on everything. I hear the good news of Jesus, and Jesus requires all. I hear that, and now I understand that it requires me to live accordingly. Here's where faith and works comes into balance. Salvation is not earned by good works. We said that a moment ago. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That faith, however, produces a new life in me. It produces new works. That life builds and advances the kingdom of God. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, is that, is there fertility in my heart? Is there fruit being produced? Is there a lifestyle change? Is there the hundredfold or the sixtyfold or the thirtyfold? We see how to be a good fertile part in the next two parables. See, they go hand in hand. I said a moment ago that you have to look at Jesus's whole teaching, and this chapter really teaches us that. Because if you say, okay, I want to produce that fruit, what do I need to do? Well, Jesus goes on later in the chapter, and he tells us this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who On finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. So how do I make sure that my heart is fertile for the gospel? The answer is you go all in. That's the challenge. You go all in. See, these parables explain to us how to be fruitful. Imagine you lived in Jesus' time and you had a lot of treasure. I mean, you had this massive inheritance, got big money. What do you do with it? There's no banks. There's no safety deposit boxes. They bury it in the ground. They bury it in the ground. Imagine Zach has treasure. He, I mean, he found a gold bar. And he went and he hid that in a field. And then one day he said, I'm going to sell this field, but he forgot he buried the gold bar. Now, none of us would do that, right? I mean, if I bury gold in the ground, I'm going to remember that. Let's pretend he did, right? So then he forgets it. And then I just happen to come across this one day and I see it's for sale. And I think, well, man, this is awesome. And I'm looking around. I'm looking around and I notice this weird mound of rocks and it, I go and I I'm, pull the rocks out of the way and I start digging in the ground. I find this gold bar. I mean, it's a heavy one. I pick it up. There's some heft to that. And I realize if I buy this field, I buy this land, I can have this gold bar. What do I do? I bury it and I go back and I say, Zach, hey, what are you, what are you asking for this? And he said, man, he said, I really like this land. He said, I'm going to need $100,000. And I start looking, I'm thinking, man, I don't have $100,000, but if I went and sold my house, and I sold my car, 
I sold all my stuff, I could buy this land for $100,000 and I could have all that treasure in the ground as well. There would be a return on my investment. What do I do? I go sell everything so I can buy the land. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. When you find great treasure, you go all in to get that treasure. Why? Because there's a return on your investment. The return is great. It's greater than the price that you paid. And the reason why so many people are not fruitful is because they're not going all in. This actually happens, believe it or not. You might have seen this in 2010 in an arts and antiquities dealer named Forrest Finn hid roughly a million dollars worth of gold in the Rocky Mountains. And then he published a poem and a clues on how to find it. You can look this up on YouTube. This is very well documented. 350,000 people started searching for that treasure. And believe it or not, a couple months ago, somebody finally found it. Most people didn't believe he actually did it. He thought They thought it was a hoax, that he was just messing with them. No, it took 10 years, took countless clues, and it took 350,000 people to find it, but only one found it. What are the chances of finding that gold? It was slim to none. What are the chances that you're blessed enough and I'm blessed enough to stumble across the gospel message? Slim to none. Think about all the people who don't. In America, we take it for granted that there is a church on every street corner. But what if you hadn't been born in America and you had been born in Turkey? What if you were born in communist China where the gospel's illegal? You are so blessed and I'm so blessed to have found the treasure of the gospel. Now it's time for it to produce fruit in our heart. So when you have a fruitful heart, it's gonna require you to say, God, you have my all. Jesus first and then everything else second. The world needs faithful and fruitful Christians. The reality is all of us are a field. All of us have a heart. What is going to be the condition of our heart? We need faithful hearts. Let's go all in. Amen.